seconds, church. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the name of the Lord. You know, it's not about what we go through. It's not about our issues or our problems or our difficulties. It's all about Jesus. Amen. And if we could just recognize that, no matter what we're going through, our lives would be just so blessed. Amen. I just thank God that you're here this evening. Good to have you in the house of the Lord. For it, it, Boy, it seems like it's been forever since I've stood up here. And we had baptism and a couple other things going on. And I ask God today to just shake off the rust so I can uh, get up here and just be a mouthpiece for him. Amen. Uh, for those of you who might not have been with us, we're continuing our series. Going to finish it up in a couple weeks on the, the restoration of the gates in the book of Nehemiah chapter 3. Tonight we're going to look at the east gate, but before we do, as always, we're going to go to the Lord and pray. Ask him to prepare me prayer and to prepare you as well. Amen. So let's do that. Father God, we just want to make it all about you this evening, all about your worthiness, all about your love, all about your mercy and grace, which you bestowed upon us, Father God, when we weren't even deserving. And Father God, you just deserve everything that we have, all of our worship, all of our praise, all of our thanksgiving, all of our trust, Father God, all of our hope. I pray that it's all in you this evening. Father God, my hope and my prayer this evening is that your Holy Spirit would anoint me as you always have in the past. God, that you would just touch my mind and touch my heart. Father God, that you would purify me and my heart, that I might be in right standing with you this evening so that you could entrust your Holy Spirit into my life, that I might bring forth your word with clarity, with understanding, with simplicity, with revelation, Father God, and with knowledge. I pray, Father, that that same spirit would rest upon your people this evening, God, that you would give them ears to hear, hearts to understand, and the courage, Father God, to respond. God, we're going to talk about some things uh, concerning prophecy this evening. I don't want to be too teachy. I don't want to be too theological. So I pray that you would just cause us to understand. Give me the words that you want me to speak, Father God. Direct my words and let me be your mouthpiece so that you would be glorified and our lives would be changed. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Tonight we're going to look at Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 29. It's a short verse. As always, we're going to look at some other verses as well. But Nehemiah 3.29 says this. It says, Next to them... And it's referring to those that were repairing the horse gate that we looked at a few weeks ago. But it says, next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs there. And that's the gate that we're going to look at this evening. We're going to look at the first of our last two gates in this series. And the last two gates are the prophecy gates. Now, we're going to look at two gates that will fulfill biblical prophecy in every single one of our lives. Two events that will uh, occur, actually three, because two events are referred to at the east gate, and one event is referred to in the, uh, the inspection gate, which is the final gate that we'll look at. But these are events that will fulfill biblical prophecy in every single one of our lives. Two or three events, however you want to look at it. Two events tonight that will recur uh, in our lives, regardless if we are ready or not. Regardless if we are prepared or not, regardless of whether we believe in these events or not, these events will surely take place. Two events that will take place even if we don't understand them, church. 
or even if we haven't taken the time to try to study them or understand them better, but two events that will take place. And what I want us to understand is that everything that we have learned so far in this journey, in this journey of spiritual restoration and the rebuilding of the gates, everything we've looked at, all the the work that we have done spiritually, church, is to prepare us for these two final gates. And that is for the fulfillment of biblical prophecy in our lives. So far, and before I even get there, so far, we have looked at the priority gates. Because it's been a while since we've, we've been together, I just want to recap and kind of just get you up to date real quick. And I'm not going to take a lot of time to do it, but so far we've looked at the priority gates. And these are the gates, church, where our steps become ordered by the Lord. It's where we begin to walk in God's ways and not our own ways. It's where we begin to walk in His path and not our own path. Where we begin to do what's right in His eyes and not in our own eyes. It's where we no longer lean on our own understanding, our own wisdom and knowledge, but where we begin to acknowledge Him in all of our ways so that He might begin to direct our paths. The priority gates is where God realigns our priorities in life, where he becomes priority and his ways become priority instead of ours. We have also worked on the purity gates church. The purity gates to remind you is where the old man passes away and the new man rises up in life. It's where old things pass away and all things become new in our lives. When we deal with the priority gates and we reestablish, the, I mean, the purity gates in our lives, it's where we begin to strip away every sin and weight which so easily besets us so that we might run with endurance the race that God has set before us so that we might pursue godliness and holiness and righteousness and God without any hindrances in our life. Those were the purity gates, church. Finally, the last few gates that we looked at were the power gates. These were the gates where God not only works in us, where his power not only works in us, but where the power of his Holy Spirit and the power of his word works through us as well. If you remember, by the time we get to the power gates, we have left the boy behind and we have become men and women of God. It's where we are no longer infants and no longer consumers, but where we become conduits of God's power operating through our lives. And as important as all of those gates are, church, the most important gates of them all are the prophecy gates because they point us right back to God. They point us right back to Jesus Christ. If you've hung on to your little map and journey of the rebuilding of the walls, you will discover that where we start, we end up once again. God, we started with Jesus and we wrap all the way around in order to be restored to God as well. And that's what I want you to understand. These are the most important gates of all of the gates. The east gate, which we will look at tonight, and the inspection gate, which we will look at next week. I'm going to try to run through this as best as I can, give you as much info as I can. Uh, Like I prayed, I don't want to be too teachy. I want to be simple. So I'll pull out as much as I can to give us an understanding of this east gate. But the east gate, which we're looking at tonight, is referenced several times throughout Scripture. I'm not going to be able to look at all of them. But one passage I want to look at is Ezekiel 43, verses 1 to 2, which says, Afterward, he brought me to the gate. The gate that faces toward the east. And before I go any further, what I want you to understand is that 
the tabernacle when it was, you know, when the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness, there was a tabernacle that had to be set up and torn down. And every time they went someplace, they had to rebuild the tabernacle. And wherever that tabernacle went, it was to face east. Uh, the, the, the holy place and the temple and the, the, the place where the Spirit of the Lord dwelt inside that tabernacle was always supposed to face east. When the temple was built, when, when Solomon built his temple, the temple was supposed to face east as well. And one of the things that I want you to understand is that we now have been called the temple. There is no tabernacle wandering around, but we have become the temple. We are now the dwelling place of the Most High God, and the Spirit of the Lord dwells in us. And what we need to understand is not necessarily in a physical sense, but a spiritual sense. We, as the dwelling place of God, are to be faced east as well. And we're gonna, I'm going to give you some insight into what that means as we go. But we are supposed to be facing east, just like the temple was and the tabernacle was, all in anticipation of the coming of the king. The reason the temple faced to the east, the reason that the tabernacle faced to the east, was in anticipation of the Messiah coming back through the eastern gate, just like prophecy talks about. We as Christians, we as believers, we now as sons and daughters of God, the same exact way, are to be facing towards the east in anticipation of the coming of the king, in anticipation of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy in our lives. That doesn't mean that all day as you walk down the street, you've got to be facing eastward. What that means is that your heart has to be set towards God. What that means is that your mind and your thoughts and everything about your life has to be set towards God in anticipation of the coming of the king. This is what that scripture is trying to teach us, church, and there's a lot of scriptures that I could cover, but no matter what scripture I use that refers to the East Gate, what they all point to, what they all represent, what they all remind us of is the fact that God is coming again, that the King is returning, that Jesus is returning, and that all of us need to be ready for the return of the Lord. That's what this East Gate represents, church. Every gate that we have looked at, every lesson that we have learned, every challenge that we have been faced with in this series is simply to prepare us for the return of the Lord. The reason that, that we have gone through this uh, rebuilding of the walls, the reason that we are taking this spiritual, uh, this journey in spiritual restoration is because Jesus is coming back and we need to be ready. It's because the King of Glory is returning from the East one day and we all need to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. That's really what this whole journey has been about. It's so that we might once and for all one day be reunited with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and dwell with Him forever. That's why we've taken this journey. That's why these last two gates are the most important of all the gates that we have looked at. Because listen to me, church, Jesus is coming. And Jesus is coming soon and very soon. If you know anything about prophecy, if you know anything about Scripture, if you've heard anything about the coming of the Lord, all you got to do is look at the world events and know that the coming of the Lord is near. That it could be before I'm even finished preaching the word. That's how soon, listen, the coming of the Lord shall be. I believe it's soon and very soon. And we must be prepared for that. One of the things I want you to understand, and I don't want to get too theological, but if you were to 
If you were to stand on the Mount of Olives, where the Bible says Jesus is going to return, if you remember the very place that he went up and ascended into the heavens to be with the Father is the very place, the Bible says, that he will descend. And if you stand on that mountain, if you stand on the Mount of Olives and you look west towards the temple, which is facing east towards the Mount of Olives. If you look towards the city of David, you will see the, you will see the city, you will see the eastern gate, you will see the, the outer court, you will see the inner court, and you can actually see the Holy of Holies if it was opened up. My point is, is if you stand in that very place that the Lord is going to return and look west in a straight line, in a very straight line, you would see one of those things after the other, all the way into the glory of the Lord. So in other words, if you reverse that and you were seated in the holy of the holy place where the, the presence of the Lord dwells and were to look directly east, you would be looking at the Mount of Olives where God would be to return. I say all that to say this. That what that tells me is that if we are not in proper position, if we are not in a proper place spiritually, if we are not in right relationship with the Lord, we will miss the coming of the Lord. We will miss the coming of the King. We will miss the rapture and we will not be prepared. What you and I need to understand is there is a spiritual place we must be positioned in order to see the coming of the Lord, in order to consider ourselves ready, in order not to be left behind and make sure we are part of that great going away into the clouds. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the East Gate represents two events, and I'm going to get that in and going to get that to that in a section. I mean, in a second. But what I, I just wanted you to share that so you understand that that you and I must be in a proper relationship with the Lord, with Jesus Christ, in order to be a part of that great day that's coming, and that is the coming of the Lord. For many people, I want you to understand that this gate represents a great hope. It represents a great source of encouragement and a great source of strength because this gate reminds us that no matter what we're going through in this life, no matter what trial, no matter what tribulation, no matter what storm, sadness, or sorrow we might be facing, no matter what uncertainties might come in our life, there is one certainty that we can count on. There is one certainty that we can be assured of, and that is that Jesus is coming one day to take us away. It's a great reminder and a source of encouragement that no matter what I have to go through in this life, there's coming a day when I will be removed from it all and that I will be reunited with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, it serves as a great source of encouragement because no matter what tomorrow brings, tomorrow may bring the coming of the King. No matter what I might have to face tomorrow and the uncertainties I might have to face, tomorrow might be the day that I'm reunited with the King of glory. And that serves as a great source of encouragement. If you go back in history and you go back to the time of the early church when persecution was great upon the christian and the times of the roman empire when they made uh, when they for their own pleasures they used the christians like to to fight against the lions and they would do all these weird and wacky things they would be thrown into prisons and they would be hung up on stakes and they would they would be used for roman entertainment if they were christians or if they were jews 
But what I want you to understand is that even in this time of great persecution, one of the things that the Christians would do when they were thrown into these prisons, uncertain of what tomorrow would hold, uncertain of whether they were going to be thrown to the lions or if they were going to be put on a stake or if they were going to be flayed alive or whatever, whatever was going to happen. In the midst of that uncertainty, what the Christians would do, they would write upon the walls of those prisons the word Maranatha which means the Messiah is coming. So those words not only served as a source of encouragement, as a reminder to themselves that I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but I'm going to be encouraged by the fact that the Messiah is coming, that the King of King and the Lord of glory will one day take me away from all of this mess. And it not only served as a source of encouragement to them, but it served as a source of encouragement to anyone who would find themselves in that prison tomorrow. Another individual, another brother, another saint that, that, that was thrown into that prison would read the words Maranatha of those that have gone before them to encourage them, my brother, no matter what you're going to face tomorrow, no matter what evils, no matter what, 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 what wickedness might come your way, no matter what difficulties you might face, I want you to be encouraged by these words, Maranatha, the King is coming, the Lord is coming, the Messiah is coming. To rescue us from all of these things. And see, what I want us to understand is that all of us, in the middle of all of what we're going through in this world today, should, should be encouraged by those same words that the King is coming. That the Messiah is coming. That we should begin to use those words to, our, to one another. Maranatha. We should begin to encourage one another that no matter what you're going through and the difficulties you're facing, Maranatha, because the King is coming. Those words serve as a great source of encouragement, church, a great source of hope. They serve as a, a reminder of God's promise or Jesus' promise that said, If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again so that where I am, you might be there also. You see, the east gate serves as a reminder of that promise that Jesus made to you and me, that I went away not to leave you, but I went away to prepare a place for you so that when I come again, I can take you to where I am. That's a source of encouragement. That's a source of hope that there is a place that you and I, as long as we love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, there is a kingdom that you and I will dwell in. There's a place that we can go that's away from here. The sad reality is, church, that this gate also serves as a great source of fear for a lot of people. Because many people won't be ready for this return. Many people won't be prepared. Many people won't be watching and waiting. Many people will be caught off guard. Many individuals, even in the house of God, will be asleep at the post. Many individuals will be unprepared and even unrepentant. And many will not be guarding the eastern gate of their lives. As I was putting this together, I couldn't help but remember that when I was younger, I used to play a lot of hide-and-seek type games. Not just the simple hide-and-seek. We used to play games like Fox and Hound and Vampire and Sardine and all these other kind of games, whether any of you heard of them or not. I'm from up north, but that's what we used to play. And one of the rules was that when you counted or you were on that side that had to go find, if I was the fox and had to go, if I was the hound and had to go find the fox, 
that I would count, but at the end of my counting, I would have to holler out, apple, peaches, pumpkin, pie, who's not ready, holler I. And if you were out there not ready, all you had to do was from wherever you were, holler I, and you got another chance. You got another opportunity to get ready. You got another opportunity to be prepared for the coming of the counter. And what I want you to understand is that when when that individual in this game hollered out, they got another chance. They had a, another opportunity to get positioned and get prepared for the, I call the coming of the counter. But how many of you know that's not the way it's going to be with the coming of the Lord? That's not the way it's going to be with the coming of the king. That's not the way it's going to be when it comes to the rapture. It's not the way it's going to be when it comes to Jesus riding in on the clouds. You see, the reality is there's coming a day when God will finish counting. There's coming a day when the sands of God's grace will run out. There's coming a day when he will no longer strive with man, the Bible says, and his counting will be over. He will get to 100 and he's not going to roll out on the clouds and say, apple, peaches, pumpkin pie, who's not ready, holler I. What you and I need to understand is there's coming a day when the clouds roll back. God's going to put his head down and he's going to shout, ready or not, here I come. Ready or not, here I come. Believing or not, prepared or not, watching or not, waiting or not, ready or not, here I come. That's why you and I need to have an eastern gate established in our lives because ready or not, there is coming a moment in time when the King of Kings will come for His people. Amen. To understand what you and I need to understand is that so often we as Christians play this Christianity like it's a game of hide-and-go-seek. Like we're going to get a second chance. You see, every day while we breathe is our second chance. Every time you wake up is your second chance. Every time you take another step is your second chance. Every time you breathe a breath is your second chance. Every time you blink your eyes, it's yours and my second chance. But there's coming a time when the grains of God's grace will run out. Where he will no longer strive with the ridiculous and wickedness of man. And he will say, time is up. I've reached 100 and now I'm coming for my bride. Amen. You see, Jesus reminds us of this fact himself in Matthew 24, 39, 42. He reminds us of this great day and yet terrible day. Because he says, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. He says, two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill together and one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, keep watch. Be alert. Be ready. Be prepared. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. The reality is we may not know the hour, we might not know the, the time, we might not know the day, we, we may not know when the Lord is coming, but the truth still remains that He is coming. Just because you don't know when He's coming doesn't mean He's not coming. Just because I don't know the hour or the day doesn't mean He has an appointed one. There is a day that's been appointed by God when He will come in all of His glory. 
And we need to be prepared for that, church. We need to be alert. We need to be watching. And we need to be waiting. You see, the East Gate reminds us that Jesus is coming, church, and we've got to be ready. Like I said, we've got to be alert. We've got to be on guard. We've got to be watching and waiting because Scripture tells us that He will come like a thief in the night. He will come like a thief in the night, and the hour no man knows, the Bible says, not even the sun, not even the archangels, not even Jesus himself knows when the Father will peek through the clouds and decide today is the day. No man knows except God. What we need to understand is that the East Gate represents two separate and specific events concerning his return. I gave you a handout, and I'm not even going to review it, but I gave you a handout to give you a better idea and a better understanding of these two separate and specific events that refer to the coming of the Lord. The first event is the rapture. The second event that this gate represents is the second coming of Christ. These are two separate and distinct events that will take place in biblical prophecy and biblical history. I've given you that handout just to give you an idea of the difference between the two, but to make it simple... I've, I've, I've put it this way. In the rapture, God himself will descend from heaven, come down into the clouds, not to earth. He will come down into the clouds, but he will come for his bride. What you and I need to understand is that this is an act of deliverance for the church. The rapture is an act of grace and an act of deliverance for the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. It's where he comes and delivers us from the tribulation that's about to come. It's where he comes and takes those who are ready, those who are dressed, those who have been watching, those who have been waiting, those who have been sacrificing, those who have been serving, those who have directed and consecrated their heart towards God. The rapture is an act of deliverance for the bride of Christ from the tribulation that is about to come. It's where God comes for His bride. The second coming of Christ is where Jesus Himself returns with His bride. He will come back to earth with His bride that has been collected prior to the tribulation. And this, when Jesus comes, I want you to understand, this is an act of wrath. This is an act of imparting justice upon the earth. So when God comes down, it's an act of deliverance. When Jesus comes back, it's an act of wrath and justice where he will exact justice upon the wickedness of this world. It's where he will exact justice and wrath upon all those who have set themselves against God, who have set themselves against the word of God and the prophets of God and the house of God and the people of God and God's chosen people and against God himself. It will be an act of wrath and vengeance against all those who have refused to receive Jesus Christ into their life. You see, there's a, there's a great difference between the two. And what we need to be ready for, church, is the rapture. What you and I as the bride of Christ need to be ready for is that that moment where God delivers us from the coming trial and tribulation that is also promised and prophesied in Scripture. I've taught you before, God's promises are good and God's promises are wrathful. God's promises are great and God's promises are hard as well. God promised seven years of a tribulation, three and a half years that, that aren't quite too bad, but three and a half years of pure hell on earth. 
And that's part of one of God's promise. You see, the rapture church is that moment in time when God himself, like I said, will finish counting. It's when he will roll back the clouds. He'll descend from heaven with a shout and he where he will gather the prepared, the prepared bride of Christ together for the marriage supper of the lamb. That's what the rapture is all about. The rapture is when God will come for a bride that is pure and spotless without any wrinkle and without any other blemish, church, so that he might present the bride to the groom, who is Jesus Christ. The rapture is where God will come, according to the word of God, for five wise virgins and not five foolish ones who are ill-prepared. He's coming for those individuals who have their lamps filled with oil and who have their wick trimmed and who are awaited and waiting for the coming of the groom or the coming of the king. The rapture, or the great snatching away, we might call it, can take place at any moment, can take place at any time. It'll take place at any hour, any instant, and even at any place. It could happen while you're driving down the road. It could happen while you're asleep in bed. It could happen while we're in the middle of service. It could happen while you're praying. It could happen while you're praising. It could happen while you're arguing with your wife. It could happen while you're sitting on a computer. It could happen while you're in the workplace. It could happen while you're having lunch. It could happen at any moment, the Bible says. And because of it, we have to be ready, church, because the rapture will take place in a second. And it's why Jesus said we must be watchful. It's why our hearts must always be set to the east. It's why our hearts must always be in tune with Jesus Christ. It's why I shared a few weeks ago we must be a war horse who has his ears trained to hear the trumpet, to trained to hear the voice of the commander that will one day descend from heaven with a shout. And listen, the only ones that will hear that shout on that day are the war horses who have been trained to hear the voice of their commander. The only ones that will hear it. No one else will hear. No one else will be prepared. No one else will be ready except those who have a heart that is set toward the east. Ready for the shout. Ready for the trumpet. Ready for that moment in time. We must be ready. The rapture is the time that no one knows, but the hour will surely come. Whether we know it or not when, the, sh- the hour will surely come. Jesus' is coming in the east gate reminds us to be ready. It's why we are told to look up, because our redemption draws nigh. It's why we are always to have our heart and our eyes set toward heaven. I'm not talking about being the Thessalonians that quit work and sit around on the side of the street just gazing up into the sky all day, not working, not doing kingdom work, not, not, not you know, so spiritual, so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. God put you here for a reason. He put you here to preach. He put you here to teach. He put you here to be salt. He put you here to be light. He put you here to be a witness. And until you hear that trumpet sound, you're to be doing the work of the kingdom. And the whole time, your eyes and your heart and your spirit has to be set towards God. It doesn't mean that you look up all day. You understand what I'm saying. But it's a heart that has to be set towards God. That's why we are to look up, because the coming of the Lord is near today than it has been before. The coming of the Lord is near today than it was yesterday, and I hope we understand that. The coming of the Lord is nearer tonight than it was this morning. The coming of the Lord is nearer right now than it was when we first started the service. The coming of the Lord is nearer at this instant, this second, than it was just two seconds ago. 
And we need to be ready for that instant. We need to be ready for that moment. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, Paul prophesies of this event. And he reminds us that in a flash, he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and the reality is in the time that you've been sitting here, most of you probably blinked a hundred times already. In the blinking of an eye, in the twinkling of an eye, the, the Bible says the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet blast of God. And the dead in Christ will arise first. And then those who are alive in Christ and remain, they will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. That's talking about the rapture. That's talking about that great and terrible day when the clouds will roll back, when God himself will shout, ready or not, here I come. But the, the, the fact is the only ones that are going to hear it is, like I said, the war horses. The only one that's going to hear that shout, the only one that's going to see anything are those individuals, those five wise virgins who have their lamp lit. Those individuals that are dressed and ready for a marriage ceremony. Those who are ready to be presented to the groom, the son of the almighty God. The only ones that will see anything that takes place on that day are those individuals who have a east gate established in their lives and whose hearts are set towards the east. It's why we must keep our eyes fixed on him, the author and the finisher of our faith, church, because the story's not over yet. We need to realize that the last chapter has not been fulfilled because at any moment God could choose to turn to that last chapter of grace and call his people home. He could stop counting at any second and call his bride home to unite us with Jesus Christ. But we need to understand that God is coming for a bride that is pure. He's coming for a bride that is spotless. A bride that is without any wrinkle or any other blemish, church, according to Ephesians 5.27. Understand God is coming for a bride that is ready and waiting. God's not coming for an individual who's played the harlot his whole life. He's not coming for an individual who has a heart that's divided. He's not coming for an individual who's been trying to serve two masters. He's not coming for an individual church whose lamps have gone out. He's coming for the five wise virgins who are prepared for the coming of the groom, who are prepared for that marriage ceremony when they will be presented to the groom, Jesus Christ. That's who he's coming for, church. What I want you to understand and remember is that five virgins saw the coming of the Lord was this parable of the ten virgins. Five saw the coming of the Lord, their Lord, and five didn't. Five were ready and five weren't. Five were prepared and five weren't. Five had their lamps filled with oil and five didn't. Five had their lamps trimmed and five didn't. Five were watching and five were waiting. Five were wandering around worrying about other stuff because they were ill-prepared to church. They weren't watching and they weren't waiting. Five missed the marriage because they were ill-prepared. And the same exact thing is going to happen at the rapture. There will be individuals that are ill-prepared. There will be individuals that aren't watching and waiting. Individuals that don't have their lamp lit. And they will be caught off guard, church. Understand, here's what I want you to understand. The rapture is a secret encounter only for the five wise virgins. 
It is a secret encounter only for the war horses that have their ears tuned for the, 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 the shout of the commander, like I said. Only for those who are ready and waiting and watching. Only for those who are dressed in white. It's only for those who have their oils, have their lamps filled with oil. The sad reality is the rest of the world or the unprepared believer or the foolish virgins, like you might call them, they won't see this event. They won't hear this event. They will not participate in this event. They will all be left behind. This is what I want you to understand. No one will see this event except those whose hearts are set towards God. No one will hear this trumpet. No one will hear the shout of God except those who have an east gate established in their lives. Everyone else will be left behind. Everyone else will wonder what just happened. They won't see God in the in the sky. They won't see the angel descend. They won't hear that trumpet blast. They won't see anyone shooting up into heaven. It it is a secret encounter only for the bride of Jesus Christ. The only thing that the unbeliever and all those who are left behind will experience is the chaos that will follow, is the aftermath that will follow, is the sheer terror that will fill the land. The only thing the unbelievers in the world and those who have their lamps out will experience is this seven-year tribulation, seven years of hell on earth, church. Daniel 12.1 and Joel 2.2 Uh, Talk all about this coming tribulation. And it talks about a time that will be worse than any other time this world has ever known. Matthew 24, 21. Jesus himself said, there will be greater anguish and distress and suffering than this world has ever known. Than this world has ever known. There will be a time of tribulation and terror that floods this earth like the earth has never known. Not just like the United States has ever known, but this world has ever known. What you and I need to realize is that there's a time coming worse than, it, than it's ever been in Africa. Worse than it's ever been in Indonesia. Worse than it's ever been in Korea or in any other part of some third world country where their lives are just... Chaos, suffering lack, wondering where they're going to get a next meal, where they actually eat dirt just to get through a day. Worse than this world has ever known. The distressed church will be worse than this world has ever known. During this great time of tribulation, there will be disasters like the world has never known. There will be earthquakes. There will be storms. There will be volcanic eruptions. There will be tornadoes. There will be natural disasters like this world has never known. There will be wars like this world has never known. If you compile all the world wars and the civil wars and all the wars that took place so far on the face of this earth, during the time of tribulation, nothing will compare to this this time of war that will take place upon the earth. There will be no famine like this famine. There will be no pestilence, no disease, no, 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 no illnesses ever on the face of this earth that, that will be like those during the time of the tribulation. The Bible tells us if you read it, worldwide pain and suffering and terror will take place like never before. The tribulation will be so severe that we know at least one third of the earth's population will be destroyed. 
plants, animals, and people. One third up to three quarters of the earth's population will be destroyed during this time of tribulation that the Bible talks about. During the first three and a half years, the Antichrist will deceive the nations. During the first three and a half years, he'll be a great uniter. During the first three and a half years, he will, he will be someone who brings everyone together. He will demonstrate supernatural signs in order to deceive the world. And they will think he is the Christ. Not the Antichrist. But during the second half of the tribulation, during the last 42 months, during the last three and a half years, is when all hell will break loose on earth. It's when it will become worse than it's ever been on the face of the earth. And on the other side of your handout that I gave you, it talks all about the the seven bowls of judgment that will be released upon the earth. Famine and death and pestilence and all sorts of other things that will take place during the three and a half years, second three and a half years of this tribulation. Those things will come from the hand of God, not to count the things that will come from the hand of the Antichrist. And we must be prepared, church. After the rapture, the only way to go to heaven will be to endure until the end of the tribulation and not take the mark of the beast upon your forehead or upon your, upon your hand. And you will have to suffer for Christ during that entire time and confess him as Lord and not take the mark. But here's what you need to understand that during the tribulation, and I know a lot of you already know all this, but during the tribulation, you'll not be able to buy or sell without this mark. You won't be able to go to the grocery store. You won't go to the five and dime. You won't be able to buy food, gas, water. You won't be able to buy a lottery ticket to get you through the difficult time. You won't be able to get any utilities in your home. You won't be able to keep your job or get a job. You won't be able to get a bus ticket. You won't be able to ride a taxi. You won't be able to hitch a ride. You won't be able to call on the authorities. You probably have to live out in the woods. You will not be able to live like you live now without that mark on your hand. You won't know how to put food on your table. You won't know how to pay. You won't be able to pay bills. You can't unless you take the mark on your hand. There is no way you can experience life like you experience it now. None whatsoever. And the reality is, listen to me, you can't get an apartment. You won't have a a place to live. But worse than all of that, if you end up taking the mark... You'll be doomed for all eternity. If you end up taking the mark, you will be separated from the king of kings for all of eternity. And you will have sealed your fate. And you will end up in the pit of hell with the devil and his demons. Now, look, I'm not saying that to to stir up any kind of fear. I'm saying that this is prophecy. I'm saying that these are the things that will take place for the people who are not ready. And if you are ready, I know you know someone who's not. If you are ready, you need to be concerned about those souls who aren't ready because this is what they will have to face. They will lose their lives for all eternity. This is what you and I need to understand. But listen, if we can't suffer for Christ now, you think you're going to suffer for Christ during the tribulation? If you can't sacrifice for God now while the world is filled with His Spirit, while He's tarrying with man, while you got preachers and prophets and teachers and evangelists and all of those five-fold ministries to prepare you, if you can't sacrifice and serve the Lord now... You think it's going to be easy to serve Him or sacrifice or surrender for Him later or suffer for Him later? The likelihood is absolutely not. 
Here's what I want to, I've got to get ready to close. But here's what I want us to grasp, church. At the rapture, the world won't see. The world won't see God. The world won't see the snatching away. Like I said, they won't hear the trumpet blast. Those who don't have their heart sets toward the east, they're not going to see anything, won't hear anything. The truth is there won't be a single camera that's going to be able to capture the rapture. No one will see it. They'll, they'll be able to record the aftermath and they'll make up all sorts of excuses of what happened. They'll make up all sorts of lies. They'll do all sorts of, uh, you know, conspiracy theory, theories will fill the land. But there's not going to be instant any instant replay. You're not going to see it up on YouTube and watch it over and over again like we do today. There's not going to be any encore presentation of the rapture, church. The world will be caught unaware and, and so will a lot of individuals sitting in the house of God today. They'll be caught unaware. They'll be sleeping instead of watching. They'll be, inter- be, they'll be being entertained by the world instead of watching for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They will have their heart set towards the things of this world instead of having their heart set towards God. And they will be caught unaware. Every trace of righteousness and holiness and godliness will depart at the moment the rapture takes place. And the Spirit of the Lord will ascend once more and lawlessness will reign on this earth. Lawlessness will take control. The man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, will step in and he will rule and he will reign. Like I said, with the rapture, no one will see it in this world. But with the second coming, which I'm going to close with, with the second coming, the whole world will see. With the second coming, the whole world will hear. With the second coming, the whole world will know that Jehovah is God. With the second coming, when Jesus Christ comes back in the clouds, the whole world, the Bible says, will see him riding in on the clouds and they will know that Jehovah is God. Here's what I want to read. Matthew 24, 29 to 30, it says immediately after the tribulation. So we know that about seven years after the rapture, that that the second coming of Christ will take place. But it says immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And there'll be all sorts of tremendous activity going on in the skies. Things that have never been seen before. Whether it's based on the war that's been going on or a nuclear blast and ash or volcanic eruptions and it blocks out the sun and it blocks out the moon. I don't know. I'm not God. I just know that his word says that there's going to be all sorts of things taking place that have never been uh, taken place before. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn, the Bible says. Why? Because they will know it's too late. Every tribe that has been left behind will mourn because they know that Jehovah is God and they're not ready. They know that judgment is coming. They know that at this point in time that the Messiah is coming not as a lamb to be slain, but as a conquering king who is going to establish his throne upon the earth and rid the earth of all evil and wickedness. What you and I need to understand, church, is that at the second coming, the whole earth will see the clouds roll back. The whole earth will see Jesus Christ riding on the wind on the back of a white horse, the Bible says. And all the nations will mourn because it's too late. Due to the activity, I believe with all of my heart, due to the activity that's going to be taking place in the skies, all the cameras will be focused. 
capturing all of this stuff that's going on in the skies. And therefore, the whole earth will also see via the television and via Internet and via all these other things. I think every news agencies are going to have their cameras focused on whatever's going on in the skies. And guess what? In the middle of it all. Pow! Here comes Jesus. In the middle of it all, here comes the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and the whole earth will see Him ride in on the back of a white horse. Listen, church, I'm going to bring this to a close. I believe with all of my heart that the whole earth will mourn because Jesus isn't going to be coming riding in on a donkey He's not going to be coming riding in on a mule or a beast of burden. He's not going to be coming riding in in humility like he did before. He's already done that. He's been there. He already came as the lamb that was slain. He's already made a way of escape for you and I. But when he comes back the second time, he's not coming in humility. He's coming in judgment. When he comes the second time, he's coming to wipe out wickedness and establish his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. When he comes the second time, he's coming to defeat the Antichrist. When he comes the second time, he's coming to put an end to the battle of Armageddon that has already began to take place across the earth. The Bible tells us that all the nations, the Antichrist, will gather together all the nations of the earth to do battle against Israel, and in will come riding Jesus Christ to put an end to the battle of Armageddon. And when he does, the Bible says, after this battle is over, after He has done everything that he has come to do, he will step off of his horse onto the Mount of Olives. And when he steps onto the Mount of Olives, the Bible says that the whole earth will be shaken by a great earthquake. Babylon, because of the the intensity of this earthquake, will be uh, crumbled into rubble. The intensity of this earthquake will crack the Mount of Olives in two, and rivers of living water will flow from the Mount of Olives down the valley into the Dead Sea or the Salt Sea, and immediately it will be made fresh. And once that water hits the Red Sea, the Bible then goes on to tell us that Jesus will step down off of the Mount of Olives, and where will he head? He will head towards the throne of David. He will head towards the eastern gate, because the Bible says that's where he's coming from. He's coming from the east. He's going to enter in through the east gate. He's going to sit down on the throne of David, and he will reign as Prince of Peace. He will reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords for 1,000 years. That's, amen, amen. I mean, that's the process that I want to take you through and give you this understanding of what the East Gate is all about. It represents the rapture and it represents the second coming of Jesus Christ. And no one will be able to enjoy either of those unless they have an East Gate established in their life. Unless they're ready. Unless they're prepared. You see, the reality is, remember, when Jesus sits down on that throne and he reigns for a thousand years, guess who's going to be reigning with him? The saints, the bride of Jesus Christ. We will rule and reign with him for 1,000 years. And I'm not going to go beyond that because next week I'm going to tell you a little bit more prophecy of what happens after that. But this is what we can look forward to as the bride of Christ. Sadly, though, if we're not ready... We don't have that to look forward to. 
if we're not ready, if our hearts aren't set towards God, that it's not good news. So what God wants to make sure, church, is that we're ready. What the Holy Spirit wants to make sure is that we have an east gate established in our lives, that we have our hearts set towards God, that we're consecrated unto Him, that we're devoted unto Him, that we are dressed properly, and that we have our eyes set towards heaven so that we might be part of that great day. Amen? So if you're here tonight and you're simply wanting to say, God, I want to be ready. I want to be certain of the fact that I'm ready for the rapture. Maybe you are ready, but you, do, you know someone that's not ready. And you want to stand in their place this evening. I know someone that's not ready. And I want to make it my goal to help them be ready for the coming of the Lord. So really, there shouldn't be anybody seated when I ask you to stand. But if you're not ready and you say, God, I need to get ready. I want you to stand. If you, if you say, God, I, I don't think I've been watching like I should. I think there's been some distractions in my life. I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. I don't have this gate. I want you to stand. And or if you say, I know someone that's not ready and I'm going to commit to making sure they're ready. I want you all to stand to your feet so we can pray. Because God wants to establish an east gate in our lives. Amen? That's going to be our prayer. Father God, I thank you for your word this evening. I thank you for your promises, God, which are great and even terrible. I thank you, Father God, that you have prepared a way for us to escape judgment. And that is through your son, Jesus Christ, just like you provided an ark for the people. Even though they refused to get in it, God, you provided a way of escape. You also provided a way of escape through your son, Jesus Christ, through his blood and through his sacrifice. And you are also providing another way of escape through what we call the rapture, the great snatching away. But in order for us to, Father, not have to endure the tribulation, we must be ready. We must have our hearts set towards heaven. Father God, we must have an eastern gate established in our lives. We must be fully devoted to you, Father God. We must not have a divided heart. We must not try to serve both God and mammon. We can't serve two masters and expect, Father God, the reward of the rapture. So I'm praying, God, tonight that if there's any of us here this evening that are not ready, God, that you would make us ready. That you would help us to lay aside everything we need to in order to be prepared for the coming of the King. I pray, God, that you would just help us to devote ourselves even more to you. To dedicate ourselves even more to you. I pray, Father God, that we would not be distracted by the things of this world, but that we would have our eyes and our hearts set toward heaven. God, that we would anxiously await the coming of the King. That we would always have on our lips the word Maranatha, the King is coming, and we would be ready for it. I thank you, Father God, for those that have gone before us. Father God is a source of encouragement and endured so that we might endure pray that you would help us to do that, Father God. I pray for all of those that aren't ready, for all of those that we know, Father God, that are asleep, that don't have the oil in their lamp, that don't have their wick trimmed, Father God, that are caught up in the things of this world. I pray that you would use us, Father God, as light and use us as salt to bring revelation into their life so that they too might be prepared So that the grains of your grace don't run out in their lives or in our lives as well. Rescue us tonight, I pray, so that we would be prepared for the coming of the King. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your patience 
and for your tarrying, Father God. It's only because of your grace that you haven't come already. And we thank you for that grace. We pray that you would continue to extend it, Father God. So every soul could get saved. So all of our loved ones and our families could come into the fold and into the kingdom of God. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord tonight, church? Amen. Amen. I know it was teachy, but I hope you received some stuff from it. And I hope that you're prepared. Next week, we're going to look in the, at the inspection gate, the final gate, uh, which is even more... Uh, encouraging than this one. So be blessed. If you have a special need, I'd be happy to tarry and pray with you. Otherwise, go in the name of the Lord and remember Maranatha.